If you're starting with this episode, I'm here to tell you to stop right now and go back to episode one. Why? Because in this podcast, you'll hear intimate conversations that took place across months and years. You'll get to know the people having those conversations, Mossen and Dahlia. These are conversations they're having now, building on the past with hopes and dreams of their future. And you can't just skip forward through that. This is Tiny Huge Decisions, Episode 4. Meet Matthew. What's really funny is Dahlia and I have spent hours now talking about this journey to parenthood. But the one person that's been missing from it is you. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to you and Dahlia for letting me be on this podcast um, about my future children. <laughs> it's really nice that I'll, that I'll have some time to really explore the issues around that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to you both for that. It's May 2022. Mossen and Matthew are squeezed into a recording studio in London. Obviously, these newlyweds have been talking behind the scenes about having a child for a while now. But this is a chance to go on the record with their thoughts and feelings as prospective parents. And their conversation takes some surprising turns. Race, guilt, identity, things get deep. But Mossen and Matthew begin by reminiscing about one fateful evening a few years ago at a famous gay bar in the South London neighbourhood of Clapham. Uh, our eyes met across the dance floor. They did. Um, you were very handsome. Your eyes were very twinkly. Were? Yeah, I stand by that. <laughs> um, and when I went to say hello, uh, you said, oh no, I, I said hello to you, and um, but also pointed out that my friends had just arrived. So I said, oh, I'll be back soon. And you said, well, you better hurry up because this girl here is trying to set me up with her friend too. That was six years, over six years ago now. Yeah. Wow. And fast forward to... Look at us now. I know. Well, we got married... Like, You're my husband. Two months ago. Yeah. That was really magical. People talk about it as being one of the best days of your life. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, if that's what people say is their best day of their lives, like, what sort of lives are they leading? But actually, having gone through it, I now feel like it was one of the best days. For us, as a same-sex couple, with the backgrounds that we have, I come from a Muslim background, you are from a Catholic background, um, from an Irish community, it's not been straightforward. You know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that we would be able to marry the people we loved. When we were born, and for a long time as teenagers, in fact, well past teen teenage years, we couldn't marry the people we loved. Did you always want to be a dad? I didn't really think about it in my early 20s. But I think as I got a bit older and more comfortable with myself, uh, you know, it takes coming out of the closet and be becoming comfortable with the idea of being queer um, can take a while. And there's many layers to it. So you think, you know, when you come out, you have this great moment of... Um, of self-acceptance and you think you're like right I'm done um, and then six months later you discover a new part of it uh, it's just a, it's a constant process and I think the more and more on I got with that and the more comfortable I got with who I was 
I'm proud of who I was and that side of myself. Then I think that started to, I'd say I started to have those thoughts about being a parent and. And do you, and do you want kids today? Yeah, because I think I'm from a family of five. Um, and I love that. I love the chaos of kind of growing up as the youngest. Um, in, uh, in a house of five siblings and all the kind of madness and support, um, and drama that came with that. Uh, so I think that must be hardwired into me somewhere that that's kind of also linked to the future that I imagine for us. Yeah. Um, now I'm sure we'll probably not end up with five kids. Um, but I, I think I'd love it if we did. Oh my God, I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, sorry, I'm just really conscious of the fact that there's probably lots of parents listening to us laughing their heads off at um, us being like, yeah, we want five children. What a lovely life. And how great that will be for... Oh my God, of course we're not going to have five kids. But No, no, yeah. but I, yeah, because it's it, it would be, you know, it would be chaos. But, um, and I think you can have a romanticized version of parenthood in your head as well. Um, yeah. But I think we've got lots of friends around us who are very real when it comes to talking about what actually being a parent is like day to day and stuff. So, I mean, we've talked about this a lot and um, sometimes I wish or I think that there is a benefit to being a couple who are readily able to have a child naturally, quote unquote naturally. Yeah. Um, because... You don't, like, maybe you don't have to go through all of these thoughts and fears and feelings, or you do, but you, that happens after the fact. So, yeah. you know, you're in a loving relationship like we are. You, you know, one of you, you know, this happened to so many of our friends where, you know, they're not really planning for it or trying for it. And next thing, yeah. if they were kind of in any way wanting it, then yeah. they're really excited by it. And you know, you're totally right. And I think as a gay, as gay couples, um, or or any couple, sorry, that uh, that don't have access to um, to having a child so easily, then you have to do all of this up front, which is excruciating. It's not fun either. Like no. if I'm honest, like I hate. Like obviously, I'm not talking about you know the conversations I have with Dalia now necessarily, but I hate that we have to do all of this. Like I hate that we have to think it through so much and talk about it and kind of weigh up the pros and cons and then think about how we're actually going to do it if we're going to do it thinking about the cost the time the process like it just takes even all... the co- like the costing is such a big part of the conversation where you know we'll have conversations where people will ask us oh you know children are very expensive and what are you going to do about x y and z and i'm like well everyone just makes it work yeah you know, my, my parents had five kids and they made it work and we all had a lovely time um <laughs> but you know we're talking about at the minute we're talking about having one kid you know, it would be fine. We'd make it work. And the thing is, if Dahlia walked, this would be very weird, but if Dahlia walked in right now and said, well, son, I'm pregnant with your baby, we'd both be over the moon and just... And just You're right, that would be... Her husband would really have a lot weird. of questions. <laughs> um, I think you might too, Matthew. Well, I'd just be like, free baby! Great! <laughs> um, but, you know, if that were to happen, then that kind of cuts through all of this yeah. preamble. And I think you... Yeah, you just don't have to question yourself too much. Do you remember when I first came home and said, you'll never guess what Dahlia has suggested? Or like how you, like what your first thoughts were about it? 
I think going back to Dahlia, yeah, and she is is one of those really amazing people who is just incredibly warm mm. and open and giving. Um, so I think when I met her, it was it was very obvious straight off the bat that you know she was a wonderful friend. Um, to you, and you're both quite mischievous together as well, aren't you? Yeah, we are. You quite mischievous. enjoy teasing me, actually. When oh, do you think so? Yeah, you gang up on me. Um, yeah, but I need all the help I can get, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think we we had a a strong connection, kind of straight off the bat. And sometimes I think is Dahlia like a female version of you in some ways. I think we're both quite honest. With each other and with the world. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's probably the thing that makes us... I mean, there are a few things that make us similar, but that's definitely chief amongst them in terms of the bond that we share. And I think the bond that, that you and her share as well, actually. Yeah. And I think um, whenever you told me that she was up for entertaining the conversation yeah. about surrogacy, I... I think I was just really excited and thought that it made, in some ways, it makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, like, because there's so many friends that we have where if you said if you said that to me, I would You'd be like, no way, abs- yeah, be like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, we can't go through that t- altogether. Actually, do you know that's true? Like, I, I I haven't thought about that, but that's true of you. That there, that there are so many people where if I came to you and said, this person would like to do this for us, you, it would make you uncomfortable. Or or you'd say, no, 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 I just don't, I'd rather do it with a stranger than do it with someone we know. Whereas yeah. with Dahlia, you didn't have that reaction at all. You just felt almost instantly comfortable with the idea. Yeah. I think, I think that comes down to your friendship with Dahlia has always felt slightly effortless to me. Yeah. Um... It's never felt like there's been any difficult moments that you've had to traverse or um and so for me it's been kind of like lovely to come into and I I think I think that's really important when it comes to separately when it comes to surrogacy, you want to be going through that with someone that you feel like you're gonna be able to navigate a lot of yeah. tricky conversations, um hard times, and I think with Dali, I wouldn't worry about having to do any of that. Do you ever feel like guilty or worried about what she would have to go through in order to give us what we want? Um, like, you know, there's obviously pregnancy is not straightforward there's risk of like serious medical conditions yeah I I think that's a really good question but I also I my my mind hasn't gone there yet yeah um because I don't naturally jump to the worst case scenario the worst case scenario well that's one reason I'm with you unlike some people in the room I know (laughs) I mean that's one of the reasons I'm with you right because I always jump to the worst case scenario and you pull me back yeah like I I don't know whether but you know I'd said the reality of it is probably somewhere in the middle, but definitely at the minute, I'm just thinking about it as a potentially very exciting opportunity, situation, adventure. Um, and 
I think were Dahlia to agree to go ahead and were Dahlia to get pregnant with our child, then then some of those thoughts would, of course, come into it, you know, in terms of what's the reality of that situation? What might that look like? Um, you know, we've had friends who have had really difficult pregnancies mm. and uh, births. Um, so, yes, of course, that will come up later. But right now, no. I think one of the questions that we've had to bat back and forth, and it's still something that I don't think we are totally on the same page about, or at least haven't made a decision on, is how we become parents. Yeah. So surrogacy is one option, but really the reason for this conversation, the reason that we're having this recording now, is not because we're thinking about surrogacy, it's because Dahlia and I accidentally stumbled upon the idea of her doing it for us. And in some ways that's almost forced us down a path of surrogacy because that's now what we're thinking about. But actually, you know, there are good reasons to adopt. And I know that we've had some back and forth on this already about our feelings towards adoption. But I just think, like, looking at it logically, I can see why people would say, well, actually, you should adopt. And I'm not just talking about gay couples here. Like, I think gay couples are forced to ask themselves that question because of the things we've just discussed about how much more of a challenge it is to have your own children. But I think almost every couple, regardless of sexuality or how easy or difficult it is to have children, shouldn't every couple ask themselves, like, about adoption first? Yeah, I think every couple should have the conversation about it, but that doesn't mean that you should be forced to feel one way or the other around it um and i think there is a lot of couples you know across the spectrum who who are starting to have the conversation now um especially maybe it's been prompted by some environmental conversations as well um but as you say it does it does feel sometimes like we're supposed to think about it a bit more and when i say where i mean any couple who can't naturally have a child you know, it's almost supposed to be something that you're supposed to consider a bit more heavily when if we decide to and can't have a child via surrogate that's lovely and fine too yeah so it's just I think it'll be down to other factors like what? Um, well one if Dahlia is it will be able to do it for us because if she doesn't we're back to yeah, the drawing if, board if right? she doesn't we'll have to Reassess. Yeah. Reassess the conversation. And then I think from that point, we'd probably have to think about it from a much more emotional point of view in terms of, um, is that, is that something that we'd both be off for? Adopting mm. a child. I think there is, there's something that's on my mind, which is, feels, like a strange thing to have to raise in this context and that's race because with with surrogacy uk or an alike organization what you have to do is go to events where you meet other people who are interested in surrogacy either because they're intended parents or because they are potential surrogates and we haven't been to one of those events yet we've been to an online event yeah and i think one thing that i find safer about Dahlia doing it is the idea of not having to put myself through that process of turning up 
to something and being on display. I guess it's the idea of turning up in a room and ultimately we're being scrutinized, right? We're under Mm. scrutiny because somebody is deciding whether or not they're going to carry our child or not. And there are so many things that they're going to be looking for. You know, does this person seem smiley or kind or do they love each other enough? But for me, the other thing that's on my mind is, are they looking at my skin colour? And Mm. and, and is that a barrier? Is that something that's going to get in the way of somebody saying yes to me? Maybe because we're going to have a South Asian child and the person doesn't want to do that or because they never imagined carrying a child that might be a bit South Asian or they never imagined carrying a child for somebody that's South Asian. Yeah. And I know that there's a risk of overthinking this, but when when you are somebody who grows up in a society that, to my mind, is systematically discriminatory towards ethnic minorities, Mm. you can't help but walk into any given room and think about that issue. So I guess there's one way in which going with Dahlia feels safer, and that's... I wouldn't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. I mean, I know know that's something that you do struggle with. You do point it out quite a bit whenever we are walking into new spaces and you realize very quickly that you're the only um you know minority in the room um which happens a lot and yeah i think i think the whole surrogacy process of having to go to these events and meet people where you're being very quickly judged i'm sure i'm sure in some instances race is gonna play a part in that it'd be very ignorant for anyone to assume that it wouldn't that it wouldn't yeah. yeah so i totally I see that that going with Dahlia would would take all those fears away and make that process really simple, and that'd be great. I suppose race is is relevant more broadly, though, right? It's not just relevant to the surrogate and who carries our potential future child. It's relevant to like our discussions about who's going to be the biological father, who is going to be the biological mother. It's a big part of the conversation yeah. in terms of what the racial makeup of our child would be because we don't have a natural option open to us. Mm. Um, you know, because we do have a lot of people who sometimes say, I can't wait to see what your children look like. I know. And we have to gently remind them that that's not That's not physically not possible. Um, maybe in 2085. Yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, no, it's a big part of the conversation in terms of who the father would be, um, where the egg would come from, and how how you bring both of those things together to make a child that feels reflective yeah. of us. I mean, I think we're probably on the same page about the idea that we'd like the child to reflect us both. Yeah. Um, and then, and maybe that's maybe that's the best starting point because it almost doesn't matter what we decide when it comes to biological mother and biological father. The point is we want the child to be reflective of us so that informs the decisions we make about those things Mossen has done his own research before speaking with Matthew to help bring another point of view into the conversation a journalist friend of his Paul and his husband had their child Solly using a surrogate how did you decide who the the biological parent was going to be out of the both of you so we, um, so I am not Solly's genetic father. We decided okay. we made embryos with the egg donor, um, and we ended up with six 
embryos that were frozen and we both gave sperm so that uh kind of half of the eggs were were um fertilized with my sperm and half with robin's and then we ended up with six and we decided to take all kind of decision out of it and just ask the the fertility clinic they could list them according to their kind of what they thought was what what was the most likely to lead to yeah. to pregnancy in a child so we just did it like that and we were very lucky the first transfer worked and again this is something you can think about for hours and hours and days before you go through this process and think you know will i be fully content as a father if i'm not the genetic father and things like that and again in the daily reality of having a child you just never think about it and i remember hearing right. other gay dads say that and not believing them and i'm going to be another one of those <laughs> gay dads who is just i just can't tell you how li- i mean sometimes i get flashes of robin in his face and i love it and actually i talk about it more than robin does because he kind of i don't know he he's and you get that question from other people kind of who's the real dad and things like that and it that kind of drives you mad but yeah people kind of ask silly things and it's some at some point some sperm did something with an egg now there's a child in front of you and you just love the child mm. do anything for that child and and you know we have the most amazing bond and i can just 100 percent say it doesn't matter Do you think you'd need that connection with the child? Um, okay, I think I thought I did, but I don't know as it becomes more and more real if I actually would. And actually hearing someone like Paul talk about it, you know, because it's something that you're actually a bit scared to admit out loud because it makes you sound really shallow. That I don't think it's shallow. Well, maybe shallow is the wrong word, but it, makes, it, it sounds a bit superficial. It's like, well, I need to have that genetic connection to have an emotional connection with the child. But I think everybody on some level maybe has a feeling like that. Yeah. And what Paul's saying is like, yes, everyone does talk about that, but when the baby comes along, which I can also imagine those feelings just go out the window and all of a sudden you just have a lovely child. But also it's it's just, I, I think it's okay to just, you know, in, in, in a very simple way to just want kids that are reflective of us and... Yeah. You, then, then being reflective of your race is a huge part of that. Yeah. So I, I want a child that's half South Asian, mm. um, as well because I, you know, I'm still at that point where I wanted to look like our kid. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm sure the further we go down this process, we'll realize that we have to make sacrifices. You know, we might not be able to find a South Asian egg donor, um, or because I've already thought about if it was the other way and it was your sperm, who would the egg donor be then? But then for me, then it's like, oh, well, they'll be white, but will they be, will they have other attributes of, of mine? And then what, what does that even mean? And how yeah. far, how far, like deep, deep down the rabbit hole do you go with that? Like what, ultimately, like what do you want from, what do you want to be reflected of yourself? There is just one final point I wanted to make, and that is about the sperm that we choose. We live in London and my family are nearby and a lot of our lives, our, our collective lives have been centered around what has been my life since I was born because everything is London based and your family are in Ireland and mine are here and one of the points that you have previously made is that sometimes it can feel like our relationship is centered around my history because all of my history is so proximate to where we live and I think that's actually something important that by having your biological child it might rebalance things in some way um yeah i think no it does 
It makes sense, right? Because I moved to London and now, like, moved to actually East London to be with you. and Near my family. I'm now surrounded by your family who I love. Surrounded. Surrounded by them. Um, no, surrounded by your family who I love, like, in the area that you grew up in. So, yeah, I think there's something to of- that. Yeah. I think I'd love the idea of having your child because... I just get to see parts of you reflected, you know, like you being really grumpy in the mornings and taking your time to make decisions and not wanting to commit straight away to like one thing or another I've no idea what and about. being really artistic and not always being the most logical. Can I say that? But like, you know, like I think that would That's be really rude, and, <laughs> but like really rude. it would be so wonderful to see that come to life yeah. and I wouldn't need in that child to see me you know i wouldn't need to see the traits that i would probably best described as um but if that's true then maybe it's also true that i don't need to see skin color either like maybe maybe there is a risk that this is over intellectualizing something and that the main thing is that it's ours and maybe one of the other risks that we are running is of drawing too fine a distinction between your child and mine because actually once it's born regardless of whether it's your sperm or mine or whether it's white or half white or full brown like it will be our child yeah and that's something that you do hear um actual parents talk about you know that you have all of these fears and questions about um about your your future child and future children and family but actually when it and, and how you get there whether it's surrogacy or adoption but once you're once you have a child it's just it's your baby and you just look after it and you love it it would be interesting to see what my mum thinks about it all so i remember when i very when when i first came out to her and i tried my best to say i can still have all of the things that you want they'll just be with a man rather than a woman and I said that I wanted to have kids and she looked at me and she said, but how would you do that? And I said, I would do it with my future partner, mum. And it would either be adoption or it could be with a surrogate. And it was like I'd winded, like I'd punched her and winded her, you know, like she felt so confronted by that image. And I don't, I'm sh- and I know for a fact that, that is not how she feels today because she gave this beautiful speech at our wedding the same way that your mum did. And it was all about our future. Mm. And I think that for us, she does see that. But I do, I think it would be interesting to talk to her to see how she feels. Um, like I, know, I remember having a conversation with my brother about this years ago, even before I met you. And he said he loves the idea of me being a parent but he worries about what it would mean for the child and whether the child would be bullied for having two gay parents. And I said to him, look, times are changing. And so although I hope that my children are never bullied because they have two dads, I also hope that I instill them with enough love and confidence in who they are and where they're from that they can stand up to that prejudice and they can lead by example if they are forced to.
Well, the thing is, is regardless of what color they are, I'm going to teach them Urdu, which means that we'd gang up on you. Well, I'm going to teach them Gaelic. You don't speak Gaelic. I'll learn. I try and get you to learn Urdu, and your response is always, well, you need to learn Gaelic. And I'm like, you need to learn Gaelic. You don't speak it yourself. Look, that's besides the point. <laughs> My children will also know a secret language so that we can communicate about you in front of you. Tiny Huge Decisions is a Chalk and Blade production for APM Studios. At Chalk and Blade, the executive producer is Ruth Barnes. The showrunner and story editor is Louise Mountain. And the producer and sound designer is Matt Nielsen, with original music by Ian Chambers. Special thanks to Jason Phipps. At APM, the executive producer is Erica Krauss. The senior production manager is Nick Ryan. And the executives in charge are Joanne Griffith, Alex Shaffert and Chandra Kavati. With thanks to Dahlia, Mossin and Matthew. And special thanks to Paul Morgan Bentley, who's head of investigations at The Times and author of The Equal Parent. 